We're going to uh, just read the end of Matthew 11 tonight for the sake of time, but I'm going to deal with some things early on in the chapter that I can't afford for us to miss. I think uh, if I could uh, just kind of say in summation tonight what I believe about what I'm going to try to preach to you for a little bit tonight. I've heard it said that God's greatest desire is for us to um, for us to walk with Him, and and I believe all of that is true because it's connected to something that it does. I, I guess go without saying, but it's one thing for me to say I walk with the Lord, and it's another thing for me to say I know Him. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not just walking with Him because He's cool like that. I'm, I'm walking with him because I know who he is and I trust him fully. I walk with him because I know him and I believe his greatest desire was for us to know him. How do we have biblical proof of that? Because he didn't ask Adam and Eve to walk with him. He asked them to have communion with him and he didn't just say, Let's have communion together. If you read the context of the creation account when he created them, he came to them in the cool of the day. Why would he do that? Because he wants us to know him. And it's a revelation that comes through true conversion. Somebody say true conversion. True conversion. How do we know that it comes in true conversion? Because when Paul was converted, his conversion story is very powerful, falls off of the animal and he lays on the ground, and this voice comes out of heaven. He's blinded. He said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. He was truly, truly converted. And later on, it's this very same man who said, Oh, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. When you know him, you don't mind suffering with him. Everybody wants to know him in the power of his resurrection. But when you know him, the fellowship of his suffering is not a burden to you. And so tonight, I want us to just read, if we could, verses 28 through 30 of Matthew chapter 11. And then I'm going to teach some things to you in the Holy Ghost if I can tonight. If you're there, say amen. Glad to have all of you in church tonight. Thankful for all of our guests that are here. We pray that you are blessed tonight by what you see and feel and hear. Amen. 28 of Matthew 11, let us come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hallelujah. Let us say amen to the reading of the word of God. You may be seated. I want to speak tonight for the sake of your remembrance. If you are taking notes. I want to talk to you about the second dimension of rest. The second dimension of rest. Tell your neighbor tonight, I want to go deeper. Y'all have a few minutes tonight? I'm going to preach to you four then. 
Praise God. Matthew 11 starts with, some look at it as a, as a sad thing. I really think it's a powerful example of how mercy works. But it is sad because it's, it's the end of the life, pretty much, of John the Baptist. Now, you've heard me preach this and talk about this, but I, I can't really teach the lesson tonight that I'm going to teach to you on the second dimension of rest without discussing this foundational truth. So, John Baptist was a grandson of the priesthood. His mother was in the Aaronic line of the priesthood. But he was so different because as far as we know, John was the only man that received the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb. And we all understand now on this side of Calvary and this side of Pentecost that when you receive the Spirit of God, there is connected to that truth. So the word tells us that when the spirit of truth has come, it will lead and guide you into all truth. So I'm going to say something right here that I think if you, if you think about it very long at all, it's going to make sense to you. That John was born with truth that really nobody else had. John was the only man, except for maybe Joseph, because we don't know exactly how much knowledge Joseph had of what was going on. We know that there was an angelic visitation, uh, as in Joseph, the earthly father of the Messiah. And it's kind of interesting because Joseph's main calling and purpose in life was to name Jesus. That's what his whole purpose was. He said, you're going to call his name Jesus and he shall save his people from their sin. So he had some revelation, but it wasn't quite like John Baptist. John had revelation of Jesus as the Messiah. As the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was his ability to know that... Jesus was the Logos in flesh. John chapter 1, which is not John Baptist, it's John the Beloved, but writes that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the Logos. In the beginning was the Logos. The 14th verse tells us that the Logos, God, the Word, was made flesh and dwelt among us. John Baptist was born with that understanding. It was John the Baptist who stood in the river as he came out of a three-year journey in the wilderness preaching the message of repentance, saying to them, Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he said, I'm baptizing you with water under repentance. But he said, There is one coming after me who... To be honest with you, I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoes. And he said, he's coming after me and he's not just going to baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you 
with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And when the Messiah came walking up onto the banks of that old muddy river, it was John that turned and pointed his finger in the direction of the Messiah, God manifest in the flesh. And he said to them, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away sin. And so my point is that John the Baptist, the firebrand preacher, the baptizer, is a man that is filled with absolute revelation. Yet at the end of his life, there is a discouraging moment for him when he is locked up inside of a prison. And this is a trap that's so easy for us to fall into. That John sends two of his disciples to Jesus and asks the question in Matthew 11, are you still him? Are you really him? Or should we start... Looking for another. What caused that to happen? John got under the thought process. It's easy for us to get locked under. That just because we don't see God doing it in our world. Then he's not doing it anymore. John said I'm not seeing him deliver me out of here. So have you stopped delivering? I'm still stuck in prison and you haven't got me out of my trouble. So what's your problem? Has your power ceased? Have you stopped being who I've told people that you are? And some would say, yeah, this is a sad point because it means John stopped believing. But if you read, actually, it's not until after this moment that Jesus made the statement about John in this same chapter. There's never been a finer man born to a woman than John. So John the Baptist was in a weak moment in a prison of isolation that caused him to question the revelation that he knew the most. And this was a a revelation that God gave me several years ago in a time in my life where I was battling through some things in my mind and the Lord was dealing with me about how the spirit of offense worked and how that in Matthew 24 in the eschatology chapter, I like to call it as it deals with the end times That the Lord shows us plainly that a spirit uh, of offense precedes the spirit of deception. And that when your heart is easily offended, it is then that you become deceived. And so people have often wondered why Jesus felt so insensitive in his comments to John when he looks at him in his struggle and his trouble in a prison house. And he sends back the report of everything else that he's doing. It's almost like he's rubbing it in his face. And he said, you go tell John that the blind are seeing and the deaf are hearing and the dead are being raised. And it feels unfair because it's not happening in John's life. But the Lord wanted him to know it's happening in somebody's life. And this is the principle you cannot forsake tonight. That just because you're not seeing answers in your world doesn't mean that he's out of answers. He said, you go tell John that everything he said I was going to do that I'm doing right now. You go tell John that everything I promised and everything that he said that I would become, I have become that. I am still healing the sick. I'm still delivering the captive. And just because I'm not setting you free doesn't mean I can't still set free.
it's a dangerous place to be because you think just because he hasn't healed your body that he can't heal. Your vision becomes obfuscated because you can't, you can't see it in your world. And because you can't see it, then it must mean he can't do it anymore. Jesus wanted to be sure that John knew, I'm as powerful as I've ever been. But you're at a place in your life, John, that you're going to have to live through some things. And then he, then he says this statement, and again, it sounds so insensitive. He says this statement, he says, it's like so off. It's so weird. It doesn't even fit if you don't understand the context, it doesn't really fit the narrative. He said, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing. He goes through the miracles. And then he said, and blessed are they that are not offended at me. What? Who's offended? He said, John's offended. Because the spirit of offense precedes deception. And now John is questioning what he knows to be revelation and what he knows to be truth. And the way I know that John is offended is because he's questioning the revelation that I gave him. And John said, are you really him? Or should we look for another? So that's why Jesus said, blessed are they that are not offended in me. And he was saying to John, it's too late in your journey for you to get offended right now and get deceived. Because you have the knowledge and the revelation of who I am. And John, what you need to know is that you're at the end of your race. In a matter of hours, they're going to deliver your head on a platter. And you can't lose your faith right now. I've come to encourage somebody tonight. I know it's late in the game. The sun is about to set. And the coming of the Lord is imminent. I believe that the Lord is just ready to come back and get us. And I feel like telling you tonight, don't get offended and lose your faith right now. Let your faith be as strong as it's ever been. It doesn't matter what we go through. It doesn't matter how perilous the tribulation may feel. Don't lose your faith. I know I probably sound fickle when people ask me what my, what my eschatological view is on tribulation. And it's because I can see things from several standpoints. And you know, as I've always preached in this church, that I want to believe that we have scriptural precedents for a pre-tribulation rapture. In other words, we can preach the imminent return of Christ that he could come at any moment. I've always believed that he can come back at any moment. I do see that he got Lot's family out of Sodom before Sodom was destroyed. And he got Noah in the ark before the rain started falling. These are the two times that judgment is recorded in the scripture. And I'm not here to talk about pre, mid, or post-trib. That's really not the point of my lesson tonight. The power that I'm trying to get to you is simply understanding that I can see a scriptural precedent that he could come before tribulation. And I can also see that there's a possibility that before the coming of the Lord, and as I said, I believe, I sincerely believe it could be tonight. But I also believe it could be several years from now. 
I personally don't see how we could have any more than four to eight years left before the coming of the Lord. I'm not prophesying that. I'm not establishing that as doctrine. I'm giving you my opinion. I don't think we've got a lot of time left. And I can also see that some of us may have to live through some things because I believe it's part of the separation of the wheat and the tare. That God is going to have to separate some people out and find out, are you really willing to stand for me? Because even John that had the revelation of who he was started questioning things when persecution got hot. So I'm saying to you tonight that you're not going to decide what you believe about God when persecution starts. You had better get that made up in your mind right now. I hope to God that my children and my wife and this church family don't have to go through the great tribulation. But I'm just saying if we do have to go through tribulation as in that 70th week of Daniel, I hope to God that there's some folks connected to this church that get a better made up mind than we've had right now. You're not, listen, you are not going to decide to be faithful to God when your back is against the wall. You're going to have to decide right now, tonight, in this moment, that I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to change what I believe. I don't care what the enemy throws at me. I don't care if I do go through tribulation. I know who he is, and I know what I believe, and I'm not moving on that. It's like, I'm always telling you about people that are saying we got to get a more open mind. Well, the problem is, if your mind's too open, see, y'all are preaching. When you got too open of a mind, your brains fall out. And that's what happens. You start opening your mind up. You look at our universities right now, and they have their ideas about what the world is all about, and... They start lifting fences off of everything. You don't just go anymore and study medicine to, to be in medicine. You don't just study medicine anymore. They, they lift all of the fences off and all the guards off. And they just they teach you the ideas of the world. And it's unbelievable how steeped in darkness all of this is. And, and it's unbelievable. I, 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 I can't even walk down that path tonight. I don't have the time. I'm just saying to you that. The scripture talked about these people ever coming, uh, they're ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. It's like the kingdom of God is too small for you and there's got to be more than this outside and there's got to be something bigger than this and there's got to be something better than that. And some say we're just closed-minded people. And so if I've got to be closed-minded, then call me closed-minded. But I'm, I'm just telling you, I really, I really, I have no desire. I don't know, Bishop and I were talking about it today. He had the bill pulled up on his phone. We were sitting down, been to the chiropractor, HR5, the bill that, that they're trying to get passed through. I think it's already been through the Senate. It's been through the House. It's got to go through the Senate. HR5 says that it's going to be mandatory to teach in public schools uh, that kids can choose their own gender. And this is going to be mandatory in schools. I mean, how about we just get open-minded about it? I, I think I'm pretty close-minded. I said, I think I'm pretty close-minded. I was there when all three of my girls were born, and there was an, an absolute identity. When I saw their little naked body, I knew immediately what they were. I'm close-minded about that. You don't get a choice in that. 
When they were born, I didn't say, Lord, I thank you for this baby and whatever it decides to be, let it be that. Somebody say, that's God's decision. I'm I'm close-minded. So? I don't want to be open-minded about the things of this world. At some point in your life, You've got to establish yourself on a solid rock and just declare, this is what I am. This is what I believe. I'm not vacillating on that. I'm not changing on that. Call me close-minded if you want to. But I still believe in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Believe it. And so... The Lord, he deals in this chapter in a unique way because he goes straight from the happening with John and telling him, don't be offended. In other words, don't allow yourself to get deceived. And he starts talking about, in in about verse 20, about unrepentant cities. And he said, and and I've got to hurry through this because I've got to get where I'm going to the second dimension of rest. But he starts saying, like, if, if I would have done those works in such and such place, Surely they would have repented. And he shows his frustration that I did great works among them and they wanted to stay open-minded. Are you following following me? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? You read verse 20, it said, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. I'm just, I'm, uh, this sets itself up so beautifully. This is, I can't wait to get where I'm going. It sets it up so beautifully. Jesus comes and does works in the city. People come to him to watch him do the works. But they, they said, we want to follow from a distance. We want the works and the wonder. But we don't want the weight. The W-E-I-G-H-T. We don't carry the weight of walking with you. We just want to watch you. And this is the the modern spirit of religion is ate up with this. We want the signs and the wonders. We don't mind the loaves and the fish at all. But don't you dare ask us to take up our cross. Mm. Somebody say amen or oh me. And so I I, I wish so bad I had time to really teach this in depth. So he goes right into this and he starts talking about the mystery. He said, he starts praying, he said, Lord, I thank you. He said, I thank you that you know who I am. You know what you're doing. You sent me. He said, nobody's going to know who I am unless you show them who I am. It's not going to happen. In other words, the same thing that he told Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee. Everything that Jesus, people look at this chapter and they're like, it's so out of place. It's so weird. Goes from John the Baptist to cities that wouldn't repent to thanking the Father for the revelation of who he is. And then all of a sudden he just starts talking about rest. It's just weird. But it's really not off at all. Because John's having trouble with a spirit of offense and revelation. And the cities that he showed mighty works to wouldn't repent. So he said, Lord, I just want to thank you for the people that are open to knowing who I am, that you've shown who I am. 
And then he gets to where we are tonight, and that was like the fastest fast forward you've ever seen in your life because i got to get where I'm going. And he says in this same prayer, he just shifts gears immediately in the 28th verse, and he says, come unto me. All ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's good scripture, isn't it? How many of you ever prayed that scripture? Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm weary. I'm heavy laden. Like you don't have to pray it verbatim, but you, God, I'm weary. I need some rest. You come to him, it's good. So the power of this is something that the, the, the average reader that's just skimming through the top. How many of you know this word is alive? The average reader that's just skimming through here, you're going to miss this if you don't look at it because you're just looking at it from an American mindset and you're reading through, uh, through our Western eyes and it's just like, whatever, he's going to give us rest and then we're going to take his yoke and we're going to find rest. And now, Thank God for rest. But I want to talk to you about the second dimension of rest. In the 28th, is everybody doing okay? Anybody ready to go get a hamburger yet or can I have a few minutes? So Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. What's he talking about? Come unto me. He is talking about the unrepentant cities in the 20th verse and the spirit of such like. Come unto me. If you come to me, you see the works and the wonders, you see all of that. Come unto me. How many of you know there's rest when you come to him? So coming to Jesus, he said, just come on to me. And I'm going to give you rest. Come on. Come up here to me. I'm going to give you rest. Now you can read that over and over and over and it never gets old. If you're weary, come to me. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you rest. This is the part that goes without saying. It's the part that goes without having to ramble on and on forever. If you come to Jesus, I don't care who you are, where you've been, what you've done, who you've done it with. It, I really don't. It doesn't matter. When you come to him... It's different. When you come to Jesus, you get rest. When you come to Jesus and you're addicted to drugs, you feel rest. When you come to Jesus and you're an alcoholic, you feel rest. When you come to Jesus and you're tormented, you find rest. You watch people come to church and their minds have been tormented and they get just enough relief. They feel good for an hour and a half or two hours here and go home and they're right back at it. What's that tell you? It means they left him. Because he said, if you come to me, I'll give you rest. Now, in, in the Greek language, it's so hard to tell this by the way that you read this verse. But if we go into verse number 29 really quick, I'm going to explain something to you. So in 28, he said, come to me and I will give you rest. This is something in the, in the Greek language that you got to get in your heart. If you have a strong concordance, you can test me on this. And you're going to find out that the word rest in the 28th verse is a completely different word than the rest of the 29th verse. The rest in the 28th verse is the understanding of the Greek language that the emphasis or uh, like if there was a way we could put it in bold, bold letters, uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a bold print, when Jesus said, I will give you rest, in the Greek, that's how it would read. Like when you put an exclamation point, it means you're like, whoa! That's how the Greek was here with Jesus saying this. He's saying, I will give you rest. Like, come to me and I'm going to do this in you. I'm going to 
give you rest. It's the Greek emphasis of I. I'm giving this rest to you because you came to me. But the 29th verse, the word rest is a completely different word. Now, it does come from the same root. But it's a completely different word defined differently than the rest of the 28th verse. And there's a reason. Because the 28th verse, he said, all you have to do is come and I give the rest. But this is where it gets different. He said, when you come to me, I, I, I'm just, I, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to rest you. But there's a transitional moment. Now I have come to you. He said, but I want you to take my yoke on you. Now, folks, I need this word picture to get crystal clear right now. There is a vast difference in coming to him and yoking yourself to him. Mm. Now, I want, uh, I need a couple volunteers tonight if I can get them. Maybe uh, you two guys that are on the outside. Come on, Caleb and Wes. Come on, you two, come here. <clears throat> okay, some of y'all are wondering. I hadn't gone charismatic. This was from the hospital. <laughs> now, I could say to you tonight that these two guys are together, right? They walked up here together. Would you say that? Yeah. I told, I called them together. They walked up here together. Are they together? Not really. Why can we say that? Because they were associated with one another. They were called at the same time. They both came up here to me at the same time. So they came together. But they're not together. Am I helping you? Yes. Now, don't get nervous, Wes. <laughs> Bishop, will you come hold this mic for me? I could let you do this other part, but I'm just going to let you hold the mic. <laughs> okay, guys. I want you to get right here just side by side, close together, touch your shoulders together. All right, you, now hold this right here, right there in front of you. I'm not going to hurt nobody, okay? <laughs> Now's your chance, Brother Haney. <laughs> now, I want to ask you something, church. Are they together now? There's a difference in their togetherness. Because before they, they walked up here at the same time, but they didn't walk up here together. Am I helping anybody? So before, even though they came at the same time, I could move them independently. I could say, Caleb, I need you here. Wes, I need you here. But now if I move Caleb, I move Wes. Why? Because they're yoked together. I've got them, I've got them yoked up in a way that it, it's different than it was. They can be associated with one another and not be together. And everybody wants to be a Christian. 
because they like getting rest. And he said, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He said, but I want you to take my yoke upon you. And that means I'm not just standing here for what's in it for me. I'm tying myself to you. Because now I used to walk independently, but now, Lord, wherever you go, I go. Because I've yoked myself to you. I can, y'all can, can you get out? Is it going to be a neat trick there, David Copperfield? All right, good job. Thank you. My point to you very simply tonight is this. There is a second dimension of rest that's different from coming to him and finding rest. He said, if you're weary and you're heavy laden, I'll give you rest. In other words, I can bestow peace on you that will calm you down. He said in the 29th verse, though, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now, this you can be seated. This yoke is twofold by definition. It's not only what yokes two animals together. It's not so much speaking of the apparatus itself, the yoke that puts them together, but rather the idea that they are yoked together. And this, this man that we call the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the living God, this man was a rabbi. And they called their heavy teaching of the law a yoke. The teaching of the law of Moses was called a yoke. And the yoke that they taught, uh, the, the, the lessons of the law that they taught was their yoke that the rabbi would hand down to his students. And so when the Lord was saying to them, take on you my yoke and learn of me, that's how you know he's not just speaking of what binds two animals together. He said, I want this to rest on you that you can learn what I'm trying to teach you. In other words, if you yoke yourself to this, it's not just knowledge. You don't just know about me, but when you take my yoke on you, it becomes part of who you are. And when my word says you move right, then you move right. And when my word says move left, then you move left because you're yoked up with my teaching. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Now listen, it's an old proverb that he who says he's humble isn't. If some joker has to tell you he's humble, he's probably not. Like, oh, God, bless your heart with your false little arrogance. Bless your heart. I'm so humble. Thank you. I heard you were awesome, mostly from you, but I heard you were awesome. <laughs> so Jesus kind of steps out of character right here. And when he says what he says, they accepted it. He Because he's not like me and you. When Jesus said, I am meek and lowly, why would he say that? Because it, wasn't, it wouldn't be like me standing up here and saying, Now, folks, I'm a humble man. And so I've come to preach to you tonight. And I just want to be humble. I just want to be humble. And you come up, Pastor, thank you for that good. Oh, I'm so humble. Thank you. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. you got to understand the context of what he was saying. He was saying, my motive is not to control you and manipulate you. I am meek and I am lowly in my heart. In other words, in my motive, in the innermost part of who I am. I am meek and I am lowly. I am not here to destroy you. I'm not here to yoke you up with something that's going to destroy you. He said, but if you are willing to yoke yourself up with me, 
then you will find rest. What does this mean? I'm hurrying tonight. In the first kind of rest, the first dimension of rest, you come to Jesus and he gives you rest. In the second dimension of rest, you yoke yourself up with him. Because you want him to know you're not just here for the blessing. You, can, I, can you come help me, Grayson? It's going to be easier for me to do this. I'm not going to tie you up, baby. If anybody ever does, you just tell daddy. I'm not just here because of the blessing. I am connecting myself to you because I can't live without you. And the second dimension of rest is not just peace of knowing that I can relax. Listen to what I'm telling you. The second dimension of rest comes when I yoke myself up to him and I find rest. What is the difference? The difference is it's more than a reprieve that's given to me because I came to him. It is literally the submission of my will saying my will will no longer fight against your will and my will can rest. I can take all of my motives and my ambitions and my dreams and my selfishness and my pride and my arrogance and everything that I had and everything that was about me and about what I was going to do and I can lay that to rest. I can take everything that I wanted to do and all my sinful nature and yoke myself up with you and there I find rest like I've never known because I'm not constantly pursuing after justification. I'm not constantly pursuing after vindication I'm not constantly pursuing a lie of why I did it and why it was wrong but I'm going to justify it and make it better he said if you'll yoke yourself up with me you're going to find rest like you've never known everything you were will come to rest at my feet second dimension of rest is rest like you have never known because when I come to him I came to him independently and whenever he requires more of me all I have to do is walk away God I wish somebody would hear what I'm saying to you right now anybody can come to him but not everybody will yoke up with him Anybody can understand the first dimension of rest, but very few have ever understood the second dimension of rest. That's why many are called and few are chosen. Many have felt the first dimension of rest, but very few have ever understood what it means to just crawl up by him and die out. It's not about me being happy anymore. It's not about what makes me happy anymore. I have yoked myself up to learn of you. I want to be your son. You can tell when someone understands the second dimension of rest. Because they're not trying to find out what they believe anymore. The second dimension of rest looks really settled. It says, I know what I believe. I know who I believe. 
And I don't have to keep searching, Bishop, for truth. The second dimension of rest means I'm settled. The other day, I can't even remember who it was or what it was about. I just remember there were some, some people in relationships we were talking about. I, I want to say it was with my mom. I don't remember. We are talking about some young people trying to find a future and dating and all that stuff. And I just looked at her and said, I'm so glad that's over. I hated that man that pressure of like first date so how you doing (laughs) I hated that especially if you knew halfway through the dinner like this is not going to work it's just not (laughs) just I have never seen a man eat spaghetti like that. This is not going to work. I... <laughs> you just had that awkward feeling. But there was something interesting that happened when I took myself off the market. I didn't want to date anymore. I didn't want to be with anybody else. I found rest. I'm going to tell you something, church. We don't hear it preached enough, in my opinion. Of just how jealous God is. You are reserved solely for him. And I know people don't like King James language when it gets strong. They only like it when it's like blesseth. They like it when it's blessed and blesseth. But they don't like it when it goes a whoring. He said, my people have gone a-whoring after other gods. Why in the world did he call idolatry a-whoring? Because it's the sin of idolatry. You have unyoked yourself from the jealous God that you had said, I'll be yoked up to you. But what people don't understand Is once they start vacillating on doctrine and changing what they believe, and this used to be necessary, but it's not anymore. I remember when we used to preach that was necessary, but it's not anymore. Slowly but surely, if I had those two boys here, I would show you what I'm talking about. They slowly just start untying the knot. They're saying, I'm embarrassed to be associated with you. I don't mind walking close enough to you that people think maybe I'm affiliated with you, but I really just don't want to be yoked up with you. Precious lady in this church that I won't embarrass told me today she had two different people walk up to her in public and ask her if she was Pentecostal apostolic. They said, I know you are. How? She walk around talking in tongues? She just had a good heart. Because certainly we know God looks on the heart, right? How'd they know? Can I just give you some relief from that scripture? Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And people look at that. Oh, see, it don't matter. Because it's man looks on the outward. God looks on the heart. I want to ask you something. How many men have access to see your heart? 
He said they're going to know because men look on the outward appearance. They don't have access to look at the heart. They're going to look at what you appear to be. That's why when he said, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and stand on the holy mountain? He didn't just say people with good motives and clean hearts. He said, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. He said, your hands on the outside are clean and your heart on the inside is clean. Listen to what I'm telling you. It has never been a burden for me to live separated from the world. It is not a burden to me to be different than the rest of the world. I'm saying to them, not only am I affiliated with him, I want to yoke up myself with him. You know why people struggle with standards? Because they don't want people to say you're different. And you know why I do it? Because I want people to know I'm different. Listen, I'm I'm gonna hurry. I got to get there. It's not that I I don't have to finish my notes. I just got to get where I'm going. So Peter yokes himself up with the Messiah, and he says, "Lord, we'll die with you." Right. Then he pulls his sword out and cuts Bill Rick's ear off. <laughs> like laying on the floor. And there's a powerful little principle here. Anytime you've got your sword out and Jesus don't, you should probably put it away. Because you're going to do damage. So Peter grabs his sword and he cuts the ear of, we believe it's probably Malchus. He cuts his ear off, the servant of the high priest. And now Jesus is cleaning up a bloody mess that he shouldn't have had to clean up. Because of a zealous man who says, I want to be identified with him. And then when Jesus gets closer to the cross, he sits down at a table. He starts talking weird language like, eat, this is my body. Drink this in my blood. And they're like, what? He said, Lord, we'll never, ever leave you. He said, oh, Peter. He said, you'll deny me two times before the cock crows thrice. You're going to deny me, son. You're going to walk away from me. Not me, Lord. I'll die with you. Until it got inconvenient. And now I'm coming all the way back to what I started with tonight. The closer we get to persecution, the easier it is one arm at a time to just start slipping out. So I think that's a little too expensive. I didn't mind while we had a church full of people. And everybody was there to pat me on the back and tell me how good I was doing. Watch me now. The woman walks up to Peter and she goes, Are you one of his? What's the principle, Pastor? He was close enough to be associated and too far to be yoked. But he was so deeply affected by the time that he had spent for three and a half years yoked up with the Messiah.
that he was marked. And finally, when a second woman came to him and said, I know, I know, I know, because I heard you speak. She said, in, in one uh, gospel, it said, your speech betrays you. Because you've been with him enough now that you sound like him. When you have yoked yourself up to him. I'm going to tell you all something tonight you need to know. Bishop, I've seen him walk away from truth. But at some point you'll catch him at a piano. And they're singing some of our old songs that they grew up on. <laughs> They'll walk away and run around. I, my wife and I watched the other night. And I'm not going to name any names. I'm not going to hurt anybody. There was a group of folks that left. They were affiliated with Pentecost, connected deep, 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 deep roots. And they sat down around a piano full of a bunch of people that had turned into Apostle Peters and had rejected what they knew to be truth. And they sat down, Elvis, at the piano, and they started singing songs that you and I grew up on. And they would, they would throw their head back and they would sing and tears would start flowing. And one of them would speak up, Mother, and they'd say, and then on Sunday night, brother so-and-so, and they'd call names that we recognize, would step up to the podium and he would start singing this one. And they'd start playing another one. Listen to me. Once you have understood the second dimension of rest, you will never find peace like that anywhere else. Anybody can come to him and he'll give them rest. But when you have found rest, and you have linked yourself up to him, I don't care. You can untie yourself and run as far away as you want to. But there's going to come an hour that somebody's going to look at you and say, you sound too much. Woo, God have mercy. You've known truth. I want to tell you tonight, FPC, we've got the truth. And we cannot abandon the truth. And we cannot forsake the truth. And we cannot unhitch ourselves from the truth. And we cannot walk away from truth. Don't expect this church to be a different church in 20 years. If the Lord withholds his coming, we've got to stay yoked up. I'm finishing. tell you why I'm preaching what I'm preaching tonight is not because there's more money to be made if you stay in the apostolic way it's not because I got promises of bigger cars and bigger houses if I stay here because all I have to do for that is just come get rest and then go do what I want to do can I just stand here by you? Will you stand up here by me for a minute? But I made up my mind when I was a boy. And I would go into my mamaw's bedroom at night. And she'd have in her little earbud. She had a single white earbud. She was cool before you kids were cool. <laughs> Remember that? She had them cassette tapes. And I made up my mind as a little boy 
I'm going to listen to the word and I'm going to read the word. And I'd walk in there and she'd flip through that little wired notebook. And she'd have some of your kids' names in it. Some of the folks at this church that had walked away. I could start naming names right now. She'd sit in there. And I'd just watch her put her head back and she'd keep her. Her fingers, most of the time, she'd take her little left hand and she'd start scrolling down that page and she'd pray for a minute. And she'd look down where her hand had marked. She'd say, God, bring so-and-so back to their father's house. We come to prayer meeting on Thursday night and Sister Darla, my mama, prayed over there right about where the door is. It goes to my office on the left side of the sanctuary, the platform. And while she'd pray, I'd get down on her lap and I'd lay between her lap and the pulpit, the platform. And I'd listen. And I made up my mind. That's something I can yoke myself up to. <laughs> I know. Thank you, baby. I know that this is going to sound really, really odd. And I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. But there's some mighty people of God that the Lord, Brother Looper, has brought back home here, and I'm rejoicing over it. Amen. Several years ago, lady, when you walked into this church and started affecting my kids' lives, I said, God, that's something I want my kids to yoke up to. Yeah. Come on, sweet lady, come here. Now, this is Sister Reno, but all my life she was Sister Potter. So sometimes I still call you that. I'm sorry. You all right? But I remember when I was a boy. Dad, I'd see Sister Potter in Kmart. I'd see her in Walmart. And I'd say, Lord, she looks just like she did when I was a little boy. And if you wanted to have a prayer meeting in aisle 13, we still would if we wanted to, wouldn't we? We'll have one right here if they want to. I walked up to her the other night in prayer meeting and I said, God, whatever it is she's got, I want her to start imparting it to the young girls in this church. And I watched in just a few minutes, and I'm not making fun, please understand. But I watched in a few minutes, she walked up some of our young girls. She got to juking and jiving and talking in tongues. I said, God, that's something right there. <laughs> that we ought to yoke ourselves up to. I'm going to tell you something, church family. I'm not a tongue talker because it's something neat to do. It's because I yoke myself up with the book of Acts church. <laughs> I want to tell you tonight, and again, I'm not making fun. I'm not hurt. I don't want to hurt nobody. But I want to say tonight publicly to Brother Hansel and Brother Haney and to Brother Horner. I hope to God y'all run till you have to do it on a walker. Because I want you putting pressure on these young guys. And young guys, I'm going to tell you something. These men of God had better never run alone in this church. 
When they take off running, there ought to be 15 young men that yoke themselves up and say, I'm going to run with them. If they're going to go, I'm going to go with them. If they're going to dance, I'm going to dance. If they're going to shout, I'm going to raise my voice. If the older saints of God in this church are going to pray, I'm going to pray. I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. Sister Sawyer, don't you ever quiet down in your prayer. Don't ever do it. People don't know what's wrong with me. But I can't tell you how many days in my life I'd be doing school in the trailer. And I'd look up, my mom and dad wouldn't be there. i think, well, I don't have to look too far. And God knew I probably had a question because I was behind in my school or something. And I'd leave. And I'd walk in there into the church. And my dad would be on the floor and have his head up underneath the chair, holding on to the legs of the chair. And he'd say, Lord, I'm taking hold of the horns of the altar. And my mom, she'd be walking around that church, bawling and squalling. And I said as a boy, before I ever preached a sermon, if you find me, don't come looking for me on the pulpit. Come looking for me with my heads. I was in here the other day. There wasn't a single person in here. And Brother Horner, I got up in here. I got... Crawled up under these seats. I can't hardly get in there. Elvis, they're, they're, they're thin. And I, my shoulders, are, I had to stick my arm in there kind of weird. And I got, I got up in there and just got my shoulders inside there. Just got enough of my head in there that I could. And I said, whatever it is that my dad yoked himself up to. I don't want to start untying myself from it. But I want to know the second dimension of rest. Because I've fallen in love with truth. And I don't want to walk away from it. Tay tonight in closing, anything you'll unyoke yourself from, your kids won't even be close enough to be identified with it. I'm going to reach out to some of you folks. I don't care if your moms and dads in the flesh or your mothers and fathers in the spirit. You don't have to have children in this church to be a mother. I'm reaching for you mothers. And fathers in the faith, and I'm telling you to reach down tonight and buckle yourself up in that yoke as tight as you've ever been. Because I want my girls, I want my girls to yoke themselves up. Men, if you've yoked yourself up with things of this world, I'm asking you right now to untether yourself from it. And to get up here to this altar. And to tether yourself to it. You may not have made all the right decisions raising your kids. 
But I'm asking right now, as long as there's breath in your body, tether yourself to it. Tie yourself to the altar. And tie yourself to your kids. The Holy Ghost is trying to move in here right now. Tie me to the altar. Yoke me to this apostolic doctrine. Yoke me to apostolic truth. Yoke me up with it. He said, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Some look at this apostolic truth and say it's way too heavy. It's too heavy of a load to carry. But the Lord said, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And here's the reason why. When you find the second dimension of rest, you realize how much lighter it is to carry the yoke of truth than it was to carry your selfish ambition and your flesh around everywhere you went. Tie yourself to it tonight. <laughs> Tie yourself to it tonight. I'm telling somebody in this house tonight, you can find the second dimension of rest tonight. You can find the second dimension of rest tonight. Yoke yourself up to truth tonight. Tether yourself to Jesus. Oh God. Yoke yourself up with the church. <laughs> 